Okay, what's going on, guys? And welcome to a brand new episode of Energize. Today, we have a very special guest on the show. This man is a three-time Heineken Cup, Six Nations. He's even won the Grand Slam and been nominated for World Player of the Year twice. Mr. Jamie Heaslip. Jamie, how are you doing? How are you guys? How's things? Uh, it, the, the, the medals didn't quite make my... Uh, my wall here. Just, <laughs> Your just, Simpsons uh, backdrop. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, many, many thanks for um, yeah the the intro. No. Uh, well, we do try. Everyone gets a special intro here uh, over <laughs> at the Enjoy Show. You know what I mean? And uh, with accolades as good as yourself, it makes it a bit easier for us. Yeah. Ah, well, look, well, that was that was then. You know, uh, we'll see what I can do nowadays. How's how's quarantine going for you in the Simpsons ho- household? But you can see I'm keeping my two meter distance. There's no one here. Um, which is, I, I kicked Margin and uh, the rest of them out of the house. <laughs> absolutely useless. Um, but no, it, it's, it's grand. I, I um, The way I'm set up nowadays, I work a lot from home anyway. Um, you know, the, the only difference is I, I do meet a lot of people. So um, you kind of meet them out and about. But so obviously not doing that. Haven't done that for the last nearly, uh, what, four weeks, five weeks now. Yeah. Is it uh, getting to you? Pardon? Is it getting to you? No, it's it's fine. It's grand. Um, I was kind of saying it's kind of like see, uh, it's kind of like school holidays almost. You know, when you're in school. Well, for me anyway. Well, because I lived a lot abroad when I was younger. Uh, my dad being posted abroad, and all my siblings are like eight, ten, twelve years older than me. So like they were off doing their own thing, and I was kind of left my own devices anyway. So kind of it's a throwback for me to to a certain degree. But I've got a I've got a little one half year old as well. So um. She keeps us busy and kind of you're in her routine regardless. So um, the days kind of fly by and um, yeah, no, we kept, kept busy. Um, yeah. Albeit differently, um, you know, just a different routine that put in place. And yeah, it's, we're, we're, we're getting on fine. Yeah. Obviously, Jamie, you've had an amazing career and like no one can even argue that. But uh, as you mentioned earlier, like you, you, is it true that you were born in Israel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Born in Tiberias, Israel um, in December 1983. And, uh, yeah, I've lived, well, I was young when I came back from there, uh, lived in Cyprus for a while, lived in Kosovo, uh, in Croatia for a while. Um, my dad, my mom moved to Belgium, but I was kind of like in leave and start cycle then. So, um, I just kind of stayed at home, um, and kind of day boarded in, um, Newbridge college then. And then they, when I went to college, then, um, uh, Mom went went Belgium. I didn't. Say, I stayed put in in, uh, in Ireland, and actually, that's I moved to Dublin at seventeen, and I've been living in Dublin ever since. Yeah. And was your father in a military background? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. He was uh, in the uh, yeah defence forces, Irish defence forces. Oh, and did that add a lot of structure to your life growing up then? You know, were you getting uh, up and making the bed in the morning? Ah, they tried. You know. Um, but I would have rebelled a lot about it, but I do need structure. Like I do, I understand I need structure. And, and as a professional rugby player, you are given a lot of structure. You're literally like given your program, your schedule for four weeks, you know, at a go. So you're kind of told where to be. It's kind of, it's the one thing they a lot of players struggle with when they finish that they don't kind of realize that and they don't put structure in place. Um, but yeah, you know, he, he gave kind of a lot of lessons in terms of discipline, routine, that sort of stuff. Yeah. When did you first like start getting into the game of rugby as well? Because obviously like you're such a cultural background. It's, it's, uh, it's not every day you hear uh, someone born in Israel pick up the, the rugby ball. Well, so I've, I've, a bro- I've two brothers who are 10 and 12 years older than me. And my dad would have played rugby uh, as well. So my older brothers played. They played in a club called Kara, um, which used to be a really, really strong um, country club. Um, and and when the base when the current base camp is actually a lot busier than it is now um and obviously i fitted with my dad and he was in the army so he could drop them off the training or pick them up from training whatever making it work um i didn't i played all my underage rugby in nace and then i went to newbridge college and played in played newbridge um but yeah no it's because of them really um you know you could argue i was thrown around as a rugby ball when i was when i was young and then um you know i started playing underage rugby um like formally in a club at about i think it was eight or nine in nace um the under 10s would have been the first team i played for and you know that's when i picked it up but i played everything like i played pretty much everything till i was probably about 14 15 
and then kind of narrowed the focus down to um, to rugby just because of of time and you're kind of into leaving cert cycle and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then Jay, when you were coming into the Leinster fold, was that just about as when Victor Coslo was leaving? Was it in around yeah. then? Yeah. So I started kind of, I suppose, you know, I went through the different age grades. Mm. And so when I came out of the under 20s, I was actually kind of, um, I would have been 19 at the time, just because the way my age kind of fell. And um, I, I started, I was kind of put into the academy for my under 21 rugby year. And uh, that's kind of when I started training a lot. Um, uh, Gary Ella brought me in once or twice. Um, and then Decky, uh, Deck and Kidney was kind of like the main coach at the time in my final year, uh, sorry, my second last year, my third year, three years out of four in college, mm. he, he brought me in mm. uh, quite a bit. Um, and they actually offered me a contract at the end of second year of college and the third year of college, um, Leinster did and Ulster actually at the time. And I, I turned it down because I wanted to finish college, but I was put into the academy in, instead. And, and so that's when I started, I kind of, oh, five, the end of the oh four oh five season, the first time I played for Leinster senior team. And, um, Coincidentally, it's the year Victor finished. And then also, um, the end of that season is when Decky, Decky actually gave me my first contract, but then he left before I even came in there. Um, <laughs> and we went back down to Munster and Cheka came in, which was, which was, uh, which was great because he, he was very much like, he wanted to bring young guys through. Um, it was very much like, if you're good enough, you're old enough. Didn't have to put an age restriction on it. I was lucky I'd come through a big... Um, under 21 year where mm. uh, we'd gotten to, a, to the final of the under 21 World Cup against New Zealand, uh, which was the first time Ireland had ever gotten to the final mm. of the under 21s. And um, so I had a bit of momentum behind me and, and uh, you know, Cheka kind of backed me down in my first year, which was, which was um, a big relief. Yeah, you were straight away in. What age were you at the time? 23, 24? I was uh, 21. Oh, 21. Uh, uh, or sorry, by the time I made Ireland, it was a year later, wasn't it? 2006. No, so I, I, yeah, I, I, um, 2005, 2006 was the first season for me. Okay. As a full time um, professional. Brilliant. And then there, there, there was, there's no hanging around. You're, you're straight in there mixing with the big boys. Um, yeah, tell us well, a bit. straight away, I actually got, I got, uh, not that I got shot down, but the first <coughs> game of the season, I played like two of the warm up games. One of them was actually yeah. in Nace, ironically. And then um, the very first game was like Edinburgh away. I think it was mm. Edinburgh away or, or Ospreys away. I think well, it could have been Ospreys actually. And um, I remember it was like myself and Rob Carney's first year. And Rob um, started actually, and I was on the bench. And I remember when he picked me on the bench on the Tuesday, I went in to check his office and put Eric Miller at eight. And uh, I kind of, not that I had it out with him. I was just mm. like kind of staking my claim going like, I'm not here as a passenger. I, I definitely want to be um you know play a bigger role mm. and um you know kind of put the pressure on he, he kind of put me on just after half time at eight and then i started every uh, every game at eight um from that season on or that season mm. and uh you know it was kind of it kind of went from there but i was definitely pushing for the opportunity i made sure when i did get it uh, which was the following week that i kind of i um grabbed it with both hands because I think uh, that's an important thing for guys to realize is, you know, when you get the opportunity, you want to grab it because um, they don't come around that often. Yeah. And then the first time you sort of tasted that big victory was in your sort of 2008-2009 season. Uh, Leinster obviously won the Heineken Cup that year. It was your first Heineken Cup. And then you went and won um, the Grand Slam with Ireland. Yeah. That was like such a special team and a special year. When that was happened, did you know that that team was extra special? Um, it's a bit of a mad time. Like, yeah, you did know. You, you kind of you had this blend of guys who had warrior for a good few years. But really, yeah, people talk, like, people talk about triple crowns and stuff. But like, for me anyway, like, it's championship or nothing. Mm. Like, it's triple crown... It's nice, but mm. like it's 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 not what you're like playing yeah. for. So you had all these guys who who kind of had the triple crown. And that was the most that they they'd done mm. at international level, and they hadn't really gotten to that stage. So I thought like people like Paul, um, you know, uh, Drico, uh, you had, like Marcus Horn, John Hayes, 
uh, Don O'Callaghan, these type of guys who mm-hmm. have warrior for a long, long time in that regard. Um, and then you had this mix of young guys coming through, like myself, Tommy, um, Steve Ferris, Rob Carney, Luke Fitzgerald. Uh, Keen Healy was even knocking mm. on the door back then. What names, um, by the way? Pardon? What names, by the way? Well, this is like, it, it's funny. Like, I was, I was talking to someone earlier about 2009 um, final uh, mm. in, in Europe. And I was like, yeah, at the time, Leicester probably were favorites and, and had the better team. But I was like, but if you look back on, on the makeup of that Leicester team, you know, the amount of Lions players or players that became Lions um, that made up that team was yeah. like pretty remarkable. Um, and it was just at the perfect timing of, 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 of experience of players who've been there and this ups kind of, of talent kind of coming through that was being brought through. And this kind of a really good mix of young and old and experience and maybe naivety in one, in one half. Um, but yeah, with, with the Ireland team, you kind of, you, it was our first proper season for people like myself and, uh, and Rob and that. And, and we kind of, we didn't know any better. We were pretty ambitious um, uh, pretty confident uh, at the time, but um, we didn't have any of the baggage of, of, failing at the last hurdle or anything like that um so you know maybe we were naive at the same time but it it was it was an exciting time but then like in the background as well you see you gotta remember you you very much saw the uplift if it was bringing to people because we were going through a massive recession then um it gave people a bit of focus something good um you know, I had a load of friends who uh, had finished college and had to emigrate because of, of, of the recession. Um, so you had all that on the background. So you had this really weird kind of... Um, really oh, weird, bittersweet. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and you remember talking to people and, and, and then letting you know how much of a, a highlight it was mm. for them with everything else that was going on. Well, I must say from personal point of view, it was like one of the best years of rugby I've ever seen from Ireland. And it might be the best year of rugby we've ever seen. I know some people talk about beating the All Blacks, but, you know, win the Grand Slam that year and uh, win the Heineken Cup that year, like it almost changed Irish rugby forever. Because um, like it gave us that belief that we can go on and we can beat anyone. And I must say from personal point of view, you must have kept a few of those jerseys because you scored some big tries in there, both those competitions, Heineken Cup final, against France and the Six Nations? Yeah, I have. Uh, they must be hanging up in the Simpsons household right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're in the back room there. Yeah. Um, I actually, in my, in my house, I, I have, like, I'm, I'm in my office now and there's nothing on the walls at all. Um, Maybe there should be. Rugby related. Um, and it's a weird thing because like, I have them, I just haven't done yeah. stuff with them. Mm. Um, the only thing I've done, uh, and probably the only thing I'll put up in my office, is I framed all my caps mm. uh, from from uh, under 19s, under 21s, a uh, Ireland senior, uh, Lines, uh, Leinster, and my hundredth Test cap as well. Um, they're all kind of framed up, and that's the only thing I just haven't got it back from the framer, obviously, because I can't go to them. But that's that's it. Like I. I I have jerseys. I've given a lot of jerseys to, to different clubs that I've been associated with. Um, I've done nothing with the different medals that I have. Um, I don't know. I, it's very weird to put it up because it's a bit braggiocious when, um, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm just a little bit reluctant to do it, but mm-hmm. I keep, my wife keeps telling me that I should do it. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll get around to doing something properly. Yeah, Alex Ferguson, I suppose, is notorious for that as well. He has no football memorabilia in his house. But uh, I know, obviously, we're, we've, we've gotten into when you've won Grand Slams and stuff, which is, like, listening to it is amazing. But uh, can you bring us back to your first cap? Like, uh, like, when did you find out you got called into the squad? And, like, who was it against? And, like, how, how yeah, my, my first cap is, is 2006 against Pacific Islanders. So, for that series, I was, uh, I was training with Ireland. I was in the Ireland... Uh, the, the training camp squad never getting a look in uh, and then I got the I kind of got the nod you know it, like in the Pacific Islanders game uh, to to get the first cap myself Stephen Ferris and Luke Fisherald all got capped I, I was the lucky enough to be the thousandth um, Irish international to be capped so oh uh, 
Uh, there's a bit of trivia for you. Yeah. Um, and it was in the old, it was in the old Lansdowne Road as well, which is, which is. Nice get to play in there as well. Yeah, really cool place because people forget they used to have the touchline tickets, which were mm. literally like seats, pretty much on the touchline. You're you're a bit away nowadays mm. in the Stadium, um, and also like it was really old school. Like there was a guy in black tie who stood outside the change room that offered you tea or coffee after the game. Uh, while you're like in all your gear and a mess, um, it was a really cool place to 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 get capped. But uh, I, you know, I found out you kind of you go training on the Monday, and you kind of don't want to read into the teams, but you you kind of you're kind of put in a team that looks like it could be the starting team for the weekend. Uh, Tuesday, then um, he kind of announces the team. You get picked, um, and then he, a really weird moment. Then he tells me we we train in in the stadium the Viva I think it was on the Thursday to Friday before the game and Eddie kind of pulls me aside and goes um, you'll never play for Ireland wearing white boots FYI so I was kind because of, I was wearing white boots um, and I was kind of like oh right and and I was a bit like pissed off that I listened to him but I wore black boots that had kind of white trim down the middle these old Adidas boots um, and I, I'll never forget that after that moment I was like no I'm 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 never letting someone dictate that to me um, and going forward. And that's kind of why I always wore white boots and, and colored boots going forward. Um, but yeah, the, the game itself was pretty cool. Um, uh, I, I, well, actually, it went by in, a, in, a, in an instant. I remember Paddy Wallace as well. He got a, kind of got his first start and, and it was like a big game for him. He actually got man of the match and, and kind of... People were kind of thinking that was Paddy's kind of coming onto the onto the scene. Underrated player. Yeah, class, class act, really skillful. Uh, <laughs> and I, the game kind of flew by. One moment that stands out was was getting in between um, one of the two two Alangi. No, um, what was it? It was an Islander winger. Um, oh, what was his name? Not two Alangi. Or was it two Alangi? It was two Alangi. The last one. Yeah, and Shane Horgan um, getting in a fight and <laughs> me in the middle and literally my life. Flashing before me because I was like, if I get punched in the face by Tuolangi, I am dust. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, hopefully, it's, thank God it didn't break out. Mm. But then afterwards, um, yeah, afterwards it was a bit mad. Then you kind of, the tradition at the time, and, and probably still is to a certain degree, is, um, you know, if, if someone from your team or the opposition team comes up to you with a drink um, to toast your first cap, you have to have that drink. But the problem with that is that's one drink for them. But for you, that could be God knows All the drinks. And <laughs> so, yeah. um, so I, I had uh, Jim McShane, who was our doctor at the time, who was also a Leinster doctor, was keeping a close eye and minding me that night to make sure I was able to play um, a week later or two weeks later for, for Leinster in, uh, in European rounds. But uh, yeah, I, I don't remember much of that night because of it. Yeah, were your whole family there? Um, not at the actual capping ceremony, um, but they were all there at the at the game and stuff like that. Um, and it was a pretty pretty cool moment. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was. It, but then then it was kind of bittersweet. So that was like oh six, and then I didn't see the Ireland jersey again until oh eight. Yeah. Um, so a bit of a roller coaster, but it, it it was great to get started. In fairness to you, once you got hold of that jersey, you know, wait, you, it, there was a, it took some man to take it off. You, you, you really held it down for years to come, um, and deservedly so. Uh, you also went on two Lions tours, Jamie. What hold were the on, Lions one, tours? Hold on, hold on one second, lads. Okay. Uh, my wife is locked out, so one second. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, go ahead. So, uh, Jamie, you went on the Lions tours. What were they like? Ah, uh, they were, they were, they were, they were mad. Um, like, it's the pinnacle, right? For, for any guy playing in Northern Hemisphere, uh, in, in Ireland or the UK, it's the pinnacle. It's, the, it's, it's, it's your Everest in terms of, of getting there. And, and it's really weird, like, getting selected for the squad is like getting to base camp. But getting, becoming a test line, um, starting test line, for me anyway, was, was like getting to the top of Everest, really. Um, so... You know, getting in in '09, um, I kind of like at the time there was there had been a study that came out that like the average career length was about six to seven years, you know, and that was '09, so I was four years in, so I was like, all right, I'm kind of 
I'm not going to get this chance again. So when I got it again in 2013, it was even more special. And, and because we won that series, yeah. first time Lions have won a series since 1997, um, you know, uh, it, it was pretty amazing to be a part of. Um, but yeah, it was a roller, like two very different tours. 09 was probably the last, out of all the tours I've been on, probably the last old school tour that I've been on. Um, because uh, like, Social media wasn't really around. Camera phones weren't what they are now. Um, you didn't have all these different WhatsApp groups. 2013, you know, the world had changed so much. And, and you know, like we went out, put it this way, like 09 tour, you played on a Wednesday and a Saturday. And if you played on the Wednesday, the whole squad um, were in the team room afterwards um, and there was beers there. And if you'd played, you were going out that night. Mm. That was it. Right, uh, unless you were um, you were selected to play on the Saturday, which happened the odd time because of injury, but not that much. Mm. Everyone was there, and then you know, rinse and repeat on the Saturday. But if you went out on the Wednesday, you had to be there for training Thursday. Okay, so it was mm. like compulsory go out in the piss, but then you had to like absolutely kill yourself. Yeah, show up Thursday, right? <laughs> um, which was very different in in um, 2013 because you couldn't. People would take pictures. We had a very different captain at the time. Uh, very different setup and it was just a very different environment um, it was a lot more um, great Glamour. memories and experiences but, but, but not as old school a lot more professional for want of a better word even though the 09 tour was very professional but if, it's really weird you could sometimes I say like, it's like I had a more of a, a better experience and uh, time on the 09 tour but we had way more success and still had a good experience in the 2013 tour you probably you would have played two different roles though in both like you would have been the, obviously a more experienced head the second time and then the first time everything's new to you as well so yeah 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 and and but you were very different styles as well you know Geach was very much like just you know you play just do what you, mm. you play while there was a lot more a bit more structure around the game with with, with gats um but like you have to change your game no matter what your stage you're at or what coach you're under because uh, you, you have to evolve or 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 mm. die, basically. So. Uh, see, Jamie, with the 2009 tour, obviously Paul O'Connell was captain the Test series. Uh, obviously, you you were the number eight of selection on both times. Well, obviously, when Gatlin took over, he made Warburton captain, and then I think Alan Jones even was captain. Uh, was it strange that O'Connell was captain and then he showed up again, then he wasn't captain? Um. Well, I, I really, think Paul O'Connell is always a captain, one way or the other, isn't he? Not, not really. Yeah, because like. You got to remember, I, I was coming from Ireland where mm. Dricko was the captain, and then mm. Paulie was captain of the lines. Then you went back to Dricko. You know, like so. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? It didn't really, um, yeah, didn't really matter uh, to me. And, and any good team I've been a part of um, usually has a really good leadership group, mm. as such um, that you that you can you can kind of they they work in different ways together. You know, with different <laughs> characters. Um, but a tone does get set from the top down in terms of the captain and how he wants the team to be. And, and, and you know, uh, Sam and Paul are very different characters, uh, very good captains, both of them. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've played more and been under Paul as captain um, a lot more. So, you know, I'm obviously kind of biased towards, towards Paul because of that. Um, but they're both really good players, bloke, good blokes and, and, and great leaders. I know, I know obviously you won the, your, your second line store, but compare both teams, what team do you think was actually better? Oh nine, yeah, yeah. Uh, what what would be like the main thing that stand out for you? I just think the the collective in oh nine was potentially stronger than the collective of two thousand thirteen. However, in two thousand thirteen, there were still some amazing, there were a lot of different amazing individuals. But yeah. I don't know that oh nine. Like you got to remember as well, like that Australia team that we played in two thousand thirteen definitely were not as strong as the oh nine South African team. You got to remember they just come off winning mm -hmm. the World Cup just come off winning the Tri-Nations. They were, like, look at their team. They were amazing. Um, and I think probably the hardest test I've ever played in is that second test where we went right to the wire with them. Um, yeah, so, that, I, I mean, that's why I, I, I kind of lean towards the 09 team um, and the characters in it as well. There was, there was just a touch of old school mm. in it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and it, it, the game was still a little bit rough around the edges and, terms of stuff that kind of happened on the field. Um, but yeah, that's kind of probably, probably a lean towards it.
Which I also think with sorry, go on, Mark. No, no, you forgot. Uh, I was going to say also with that 2009 team playing in South Africa is a bit more uh, different with the altitude because uh, Francois Stein was like incredible with that boot, and if you gave him the ball anywhere within 65 meters, he could put it back over the bar. So like yeah. that was definitely a factor, and then. JP Peterson and Habana were like two of the best players in the world. Like I definitely agree with that. Like that South African team was top of the range. Yeah. And that's definitely mentioned Scalberg or John Smith or any of the other, you know, forwards. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, you know, who's the center again? Um De Villiers. De Villiers, uh Pierce Spees, mm. uh, eight. Uh, he was fast role, as well, wasn't he? Yeah, their second roles were like uh, Matfield and um Oh, what's his name? The lunatic went too long. Bata. Yeah. Bacchus. Yeah. Bacchus. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's an all-star team really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, see, I, I think Australia have, have struggled a little bit. Mm. Like, we beat them convincingly in the last game and, and, you know, we should have really beaten them in the second test. You know, it should have mm. been a whitewash series. Um, but look, you know, it, 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 that's, that's just the way it fell. Would you say that's the highlight of your playing career then, the Lions store? Um, so it's funny when I get asked highlights, I I, I kind of say like it's hard to single any one thing out because I kind of look at the whole journey. Like I'm very very lucky that I I, I no injury pretty much by the end, um, and you know so I played a lot of rugby. Mm. And it's more about the journey for me, the ups downs, the highs the lows, the whole the whole lot together uh, is what kind of makes up a great rugby experience uh, for me. Um, and I'm lucky as part of some, some teams that had a lot of success under some mm. fantastic coaches with amazing players. So I, I got to see um, a lot of good. Yeah. Jamie, just, about, just before we, got, we go back into your Irish career, um, just looking back at those two Lions tours, just so we can wrap that up. In both, in both tours, which non-Irish player did you look at and you're like, you, you took like some, something from their game or some inspiration or you're like the way they pre-prepared, pre, pre-match and stuff? Just something that people like ourselves wouldn't see? Um, yeah, you, you pick up bits. Like, you, you pick up bits, but it's weird. By, by the, in 2013, by the time we came around to that, I think the Irish players were so far ahead in terms of being professionals and the analysis. Sorry, even by 2009, the analysis that we were doing was definitely more than the other teams. Definitely. Um, and in t- 2013, we were... The majority of player Irish players are definitely better professionals than the others. There was definitely t- talented individuals and stuff, and I'm not saying they weren't professional, but I just think we definitely came at it from a more 360 perspective. Um, it was only because we were going to ask you the Irish stuff later. <laughs> no, no, but that's fine. But, but what I mean is, yeah. is, is, but you still did pick up things, you know, mm, you, yeah. like, um, like I picked up a lot from uh, like just the way guys kind of carry themselves. And um, I'm going to think back to the Oh nine one, like Stephen Jones was, was a big influence, you know, in terms of how he approached the game. Um, you, you got lots of different perspectives from both coaches and players, which was, which is great. Cause you always need that outside eye on something to look at something different or approach something different. Um, that's true. But, uh, and then in, in, so, I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think back to that time. Who were your roommate with at the time? Or over the two well, you changed, you changed. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I actually know nine in fairness. I learned a lot of Andy Powell because he was in like really good Nick. And it was like learning off, okay, how he was taking care of himself, the training he was mm. doing, the diet. Uh, a lot of the Welsh guys actually had really good clean diets and you're trying to learn a little bit off them from that. Then in 2013, um, you know, got on well with a lot of different players, you know, Faz, uh, these guys, um, you know, working closely with, with Falatau at the time, um, you know, learning off uh, Tipperick in terms of the lines he was running and, and how he, him and Warburton uh, acted around the, the, the rook. So you did pick up a lot of different things like that. Um, probably more uh, role-specific stuff than, than, than the broader sense of things. I get you, I get you. And Jamie, what do you make the current Irish team? Because the, the, we're almost a new phase again under Andy Farrell. Obviously, the yeah. Joe Schmidt era was uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, I mean, beating New Zealand, I think, is something that people remember forever. Not only once, but twice. Yeah. Um, to, what do you make of the current setup? And 
you know, obviously the back row is on fire at the moment, uh, especially if you take people like Dan Levy back, uh, and then obviously Max Deegan, Caelan Doris come through. Like, what do you make of the current uh, team, especially forwards? Um, what do I make of them? <clears throat> I think they've got to evolve. Um, you know, I think we saw that from they, they played uh, a certain style that with under Joe that got them to a level that got mm. them number one in the world. Sorry. Um, um, but they didn't evolve their game. And so I think they're still playing, picking from a lot of players. Like the guys who are starting, majority of guys that are starting right now are, are still of that ilk and of playing a certain way. And I don't think, um, I think we've been passed out. Teams have caught mm. up with how we're playing, figured out how we're playing. We haven't evolved that. We, we showed glimpses of it um, in the first two games of the Six Nations before mm. it got called off. But um, I don't know if we are picking the players that can play the type of game we need to kick on another gear. Um, you touched on a couple of them that I think have got to start, you know, Caelan Doris, uh, Max Deegan, um, you know, they're two of the back rows, for example. Uh, who else? Uh, you got to say, you got Dan Levy coming back, you got Jack Connell coming back. This, and that's just, sorry, that's just Lencer alone. There's mm-hmm. other talent coming through. You got Jack O'Donoghue, who, who, who has a, who's been putting his hand up as well down in, then a month you got Will Addison, these type of guys who are pushing to start. Mm. Um, and there's guys who I think are getting picked on um, previous endeavors. And, and uh, I think we need to evolve uh, the way we play and we need to evolve our team or else um, we, we simply, I don't think we'll win. And is it, if, you, if you're name one or two people who you'd bring in, if you were put in charge tomorrow, who would you uh, have in the starting 15? I'd start Caelan Doris all day. Yeah, um, I'm actually I'm actually a slightly bigger fan of Max Deegan. I don't know why. I just feel like he gets over the line so often. It's it's fantastic. Well, well I think I think I think Max is a, a, um, is potentially the more uh, potentially has more footballing ability, but I think Caelan ha- is is a really good all round player on both sides of the ball um, in any sort of game. So if it's a real, if it's a if it's a free fall, free flowing, uh, you have the kind of momentum type of game. I think Max is amazing, and sorry, he can roll up his sleeves uh, and do dirty work. I just think Kalen uh, and potentially has more of a three sixty approach. Um, I'm clutching his straws. Uh, I'm a big fan of both. And there's another kid come through called Scott Penny uh, at seven, who is uh, an amazing, amazing athlete. Um, and, and he'll be an amazing seven. But like that's, look, that's just because I, I, I've seen them come through. And, mm. and you've also got Will Connors, who is there. And these sort of guys who are putting a lot of pressure on. You got Dan Levy coming back into the mix. Uh, Jack Conan coming back into the mix. And again, this has only come from one club. So, yeah. you know, let's take the last game of guys who's, who started. It was uh, in the back row. Um, it was uh, Josh, um, CJ, and Pete. Peter, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, like I, like you know, I'd be, you know, I think they're under a lot of pressure, and mm. um, I don't know if they're doing enough um, to warrant um, keeping their place. Yeah, well, like it has been, like it was notice, noticeable that uh, Andy did bring in new faces, and then people got injured. Like obviously, Cam Doris got knocked yeah. out in his debut after like a minute, which is that's going to be a pub quiz question in a few years to come. But uh, yeah. it, it almost looks like we've reverted back to the, the World Cup team. But, like, didn't CJ get a man of the match in the first two games? Uh, yeah, but, like... They've like, almost uh, upped their game as well. But at some stage... I don't know. See, fresh yes, yes, yes and no. So, like, okay, now we, we can get into the man of the match and who picks man of the match and all that sort of stuff, right? Uh, it's... I'm, I have a good idea who it probably was. But anyway... Um, <laughs> you got to look at the effectiveness of players on the game. Just because you do 20 carries doesn't mean you're effective on the game. They could be for a meter at a, at a time. Now, in fairness to CJ, he had pretty good, uh, he had some pretty good games. And I actually think the conversation started shifting. of going, okay, how, how do you, you know, you know, do you start CJ at eight or six? You know, do you put him at six and you bring someone like Kalen in at, at eight or, or, you know, or put him at six or, or whatever. Um, and then I think a lot of pressure was being put on Pete as well in terms of trying to um, have more influence on the game, not just at line-out. Um, but these are good headaches um, for yeah, they are, they are 
of Andy to have. And that's what we need. We need a competition, but we also need to see that um, we're picking our best players and we're not just going back to guys uh, because Fantastic. of a job that they did for us back in the day. You know what I mean? They've, they've, they've got to keep stepping up. And if they're not, we've got to make a decision on it pretty quickly. Um, now, it's really interesting, going to be interesting to see how it all pans out because world rankings this year obviously dictate um, uh, qualifying for the World Cup. Mm. Um, and maybe that's what was playing into Andy's hand, that he just wanted a bit of a steady ship. Um, you don't want to potentially that's, make all, all, the changes, all the changes at one time um, because maybe you want to make the changes gradually over a two-year period and then build on that two years coming into the next World Cup cycle. So maybe that's what he was leaning towards. Um, but look, yeah, I, I, I still think there's a lot of pressure across, not just the back row, obviously that's close to my heart, but I think across the whole mm. team. Um, there's there's pressure. You got to remember, Joey Carberry uh, is injured right now. Um, he'll come back in and put pressure on Johnny. But you got Ross Byrne who's putting pressure on him. You got Harry Byrne who's coming through. Ross's brother. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, Jack Carty was was showing form coming to the World Cup. Dropped yeah. a bit. He'll come back. And um, you know, back three is is really really competitive right Ian now. Ian Madigan come back to Ulster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Mads is definitely going to want to uh, throw his name in the hat going forward. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's good that you, we're, we're going to have these selection headaches, but I just, I just hope that we're picking the best players um, on form and we're picking players as well that can, can play in a way that our game needs to move towards. Yeah, uh, just, just, uh, just one sec, Ross. Just, uh, I think in, when, Andy, when Andy was appointed, like, everyone was like, what way is he going to go with this team? We actually put out a few rugby videos and the build up to it, like who's he, who he actually going to pick as captain? And... Like he, I remember Johnny was out injured, so we were like, maybe he's going to pick someone else. But then uh, he ended up picking Johnny Sexton, so that almost set the tone of what he was going to go for as well, because obviously Johnny's getting, uh, he's what, 33, 34 now? Yeah, but who, I, like, I mean, I didn't really see an argument for anyone no, else. No, 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 I, I, no, I totally understand that. It was like, uh, if, put it this way, there was talk about maybe James Ryan getting it. But like, if you had to pick James Ryan, then he probably would have started, a, brought in a whole news tide. Well, picking Johnny, he's, he's, it seemed like, right, that's going to be the tone. He's going to probably just keep the sort of same team and keep things ticking over rather than changing a whole lot of things. I, 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 think, I think James has got to worry about his own game and, and, right. and, and building as a leader uh, himself and his communication skills in that regard um, and growing his game a little bit. Like, I, I, I didn't, wasn't really buying into that argument. Uh, I, I think Johnny was the right call. Um, yeah, I thought that was going to be Johnny as well. He'll probably assess it after two years um, at that halfway point. It's like, kind of like what England did in the last cycle. It's like you had Dylan Hartley, and then about 18 months out, they just kind of went, no, actually, okay, he got us to this point, but he's not going to get us. He's not going to be in the World Cup. So at some point, Andy's going to – like Johnny will definitely want to be – put his hand up and go, I'm going to the next World Cup. Andy Farrell is going to have to make a decision going, okay, he, is he, is he, are we bringing him to the next World Cup? Or is he um, – He's a starter. Is he, is he a starter then? Yeah, exactly. Because that's the other thing. You need your guy to be, your captain to be a starter. I'm, I just don't buy into having a captain that doesn't yeah. start. Oh, no, I 100% um, agree. Yeah. 100%. And I don't think, I don't think anyone currently, um, it's very hard. Like, I know, like, example, Pete was in the conversation, right? Yeah. But it's very hard to say Pete will start again, will, 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 will mm. start the whole very time. Very competitive back there. Exactly. Mm. Um, I think when me and Barry were looking at it, we discussed it, we were like, at the time, the three most guaranteed starters were probably Ty Furlong, James Ryan, and Johnny Sexton. And we were like, we're like it's probably going to be in, between those three because they had their position more nailed down than anyone else does. And Sexton was the obvious choice because he was the leader. And also, I always think it's nice for the out-half to be able to be like, I'll kick a goal or I won't kick a goal as opposed to someone else go, hey, Johnny, stick that over there, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's good and bad, isn't it? Because um, sometimes you need to step away and, mm. and uh, your over-exuberance sometimes might not be the best uh, decision. Mm. Look, he, he's, he's, um, I think he's a, a very good leader and uh, he's growing into it. Um, you know, and, and look, it's, it's going to be a... He kind of got it in a tough season, I suppose, really. Mm. Um, coming off the back of the World Cup... Uh, a mixed bag of, of a start um, to the Six Nations 
and uh, look, we'll see when, when they pick back up, if they finish out the season or, or, or coming into whenever next season, uh, how, it, how it kind of unfolds for them. But um, yeah, look, it, it is what it is. But I mean, there's a lot of talent coming through. So mm. I think you're going to see a lot of interesting calls being made um, over the next season or two because now's the time that you've got to start bleeding these guys to get them the game time experience coming into that let's say 12 months, 18 month period out from, from the next World Cup. And Jamie, did you ever feel when people were being selected that just say, when you were playing for Leinster, you were an eight, uh, maybe, and then you had Jennings and Sean O'Brien on either side. Do you ever think that like, that played into a factor that you, you, you might actually pick the entire Leinster back row because they're more used to each other? Um, for Ireland, this is yeah. Just for um, Ireland, like in terms of, like picking like the front row. If you pick the Leinster front row, like they screw them every week together. You know what I mean? Like there, there is that sort of uh, like Paul O'Connell and Tonico O'Callaghan. Like uh, I don't really think so. Um, I think you get to a stage where players are just good enough. Mm. Um, at the international level, they should be good enough to be able to to be able to, to get along and play mm. with each other. Um, and you know we're playing so much with each other and the RFU mm. are able to put them together because it's all essentially mm. contracted you're able to organise these different camps and they get so much time together that I, I don't mm. know if that is really something that should be factored in um, uh, I think you should pick the best, best players it doesn't matter where they come from look it goes through peaks and troughs in terms of some mm. teams getting more players in than others you know what I mean I started an Ireland team that was I think was pretty much I look back now, was pretty much a starting pack was Munster bar myself. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, it got, it, that's the way it goes. Uh, mm. Some things are informed. They kind of get more international uh, players out of it. And then, you know, kind of it goes up and down. Oh, I was just more so sometimes, uh, sometimes I look at Leinster and like they almost put out an Ireland 15 and I'm like, geez, would Ireland ever just consider putting out the Leinster team and letting them do the business? Because... You know, obviously being the powerhouse Lens are at the moment. Uh, yeah, look, you know, we all have our own bias towards it, right? We see the world through blue tinted glasses at times, right? And that's look, that's fine. But I, I, I think, um, look, I, I, what I think what's happened is what Stuart has done with Leinster is that Joe has laid a really, really good foundation. And I think Stuart has evolved and built on top of that. Mm. And I think what you're seeing is all these different players playing that certain way in this new kind of evolved way of playing built on that Joe kind of Schmidt foundation. Mm. So it's a case of, of maybe they've, they've gotten that competitive advantage and the other Mm. teams haven't necessarily caught up with that. Um, Leinster have also been, uh, have invested heavily in their academy system. They're very lucky that they probably have, they do have, the biggest catchment in terms mm. of players through um, the school system, firstly, and then in terms of volume, anyway, in the province. Um, you know, but you, the other clubs haven't necessarily invested in the same amount uh, in their underage systems, um, anyway. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. So I think, uh, like, yeah, like, like. We lo- you, you, Lens are able to pick from that big deck you know what I mean they use on average like 55 players I think a season um, it's insane you know what I mean and they're, they're, they've got that competitive advantage so yeah you can, they can field it uh, you know two or three different 23 uh, man squads over uh, a three or four week period and, and still be competitive with some of the best in Europe um, and, and it's a great place to be in. But I think what you're seeing from Dave Musafor, which is a wise move, is that he's IDing a, co- a couple of different um, bottlenecks in terms of position mm-hmm. and the fact that um, like Leinster have a bigger playing population and are able to kind of use that funnel. is like they naturally hit a, a bottleneck and he's starting to move those players around to Ulster, to Connacht, to Munster. Um, and I, I think it's better for the player because they'll get more opportunity and then the knock-on effect of that is that clubs will become a lot more uh, competitive and balanced, and then that will obviously have a, a better benefit because you have a lot more guys playing um, first 15 rugby, which gets more competitive and feeds into a better 15, hopefully, for Ireland. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, we just all want Ireland to get back. 
back on top. But uh, Jamie, yeah. obviously, obviously you were you were one club man, and uh, we previously had like James Haskell on the show, who's played all over the world. Uh, Tommy Bowes obviously went over to Ospreys, and uh, Andrew Trimble actually said that he, if he had one regret, he would have liked to play somewhere else as well. Um, yeah. But would would that have been a would being a one man club? Is that do you have any regrets now playing for a, a playing abroad or anything? Um, not really. No. Um, like. No, I, I looked at it. I, sorry, well, I, I looked at it twice seriously. Um, Any countries in particular? In, yeah, in do, 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 what year was it? It was 09. And so the way the contracts used to be was if you had, um, I think it was five, five starts against uh, Six Nations or Zanzar countries, you automatically um, renegotiated an international contract. And so I hit that in 09. Oh, eight oh nine season so my contract became was up for negotiation mm. and um what i actually wanted to do was sorry um it wasn't oh nine um so it was my contract was coming up in 2011 that was it okay uh it was coming up in 2011 uh the world cup and it, it uh my contract came up in june 2011 world cup was obviously september october 2011 and what i actually wanted to do was sign like a three four month contract basically at the end of the world cup and then I wanted to go to Japan, play in Japan, um, go to Southern Hemisphere, play in Southern Hemisphere rugby, and then come back, basically, hopefully for the summer tour or the following mm. season. Yeah. Um, but the RFU wouldn't do it. They were like, nope, it's either a, a three-year contract or nothing. That's um, actually exactly what James, uh, James Haskell did, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I, that's what I wanted to do because I was like, oh, wow, I can, I can travel the world with this. Um, and get that, uh, but yeah, it didn't happen. Um, so stayed in Lancer. And then the only other time um, was two thousand and uh, was it must have been fourteen or something like that. Whenever my contract was up, and um, Toulon was a was a was a pretty serious offer. Um, oh, I'm actually not surprised to say that. Well, I'm not surprised the French clubs came knocking. Um, well, I just got to stay. Well, the way it got was. Um, how close it got, I should say, is that I had a house picked out. Um, oh, wow. And, and it was pretty nice. It was, you know, a house picked out on a hill, looking over the Mediterranean with a swimming pool. You bought the beret, the beret as well. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and so it was, it was picked out. I uh, had the contract from Toulon uh, beside me in the car, and I was driving out to the IRFU on the week of the first test. It must have been 2013, 2014. Um, and uh yeah basically my agent was going in for the kind of like do or die meeting with the rfu and um i arrive and he phones me up and goes nope they've they've hit the number you want and um that was that but like i I basically was like ready to go um and was just kind of it it was up to the rfu if they they basically wanted to keep me or not yeah you'd start taking your friend sessions well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that would have been interesting. But uh, yeah, but there's, there's the whole business side to the game that you, you very much have mm. to, uh, and I'm glad that I did it, seeing how quickly it ended for me, um, uh, you know, and how other things are trans, uh, transpiring. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, there's, a, there's a business side to the game that you have to address and look at. Mm. And obviously you're, you're in business now, Jamie. Um, you're still part of a... Obviously, bars and Dublin. What else have you got on, on your books? Uh, I've I, I invested in a couple of different businesses in the in the sports tech data world, in the fintech world, um, in the media digital media world, uh, pubs. Obviously, um, I was in a in a, a business that helped kind of mom and pop shops called Pointy mm. that, that we uh, recently sold into Google in January. And um, I actually know someone who works for Pointy. Pardon. <laughs> I actually know somebody who works for Pointy. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was an angel investor in Pointy. Um, oh, nice. And so, yeah, like um, I, I kind of did that. And I'm spending a lot of time at Flender right now, but I, I kind of spend time across all different companies. Um, mm. I won't lie. I, I, my biggest interest is in sport, the business of sport. And, and I'll probably look at how I, I kind of come back to that world down the line. But um, now I'm very much, you know, all about um, kind of – making sure that the businesses that I'm involved in are, are hopefully able to um, currently get through this crisis and, and come out the other side. 
Oh, brilliant. It's great to show your entrepreneurial spirit because I actually remember seeing you on News Talk with Bobby Kerr and I was like, Jesus, Jamie's got his head screwed on like there's no tomorrow. So fair play to you. It's great to see. I love the broadcasting side of it and, and getting involved mm. in that. But uh, unfortunately, rugby is quite a niche sport globally. Mm. Uh, and particularly in Ireland, it's not a big market. Um, and there's not, uh, it's not something you can make a consistent living off going forward. You know what I mean? So you got to think of the long game on these things. And um, while I love doing it and I'll we'll, and we'll keep doing it as long as people let me, mm. um, you, you do have to kind of think of the long game. And, and uh, I thought, always thought that it's better to uh, own the business that you're in. So that's mm. kind of what I'm trying to set myself up for. Yeah. If anyone's been, whoever's been watching now, I'm sure they'll take that advice on board. But uh, Jamie, I know we've taken a, a, like, a big part of your day, but uh, before we wrap up, we do always ask people, who's the best player they've played against and who's the best player they've played with? So uh, do you want to let us know? So it actually just froze there. So can you oh, say the sorry. Uh, before we wrap things up, we, we usually ask people, who's the best player they've played against? And who's the best player they've played with? So do you want to let us know? Um, I always say um, Thierry Dezatois was probably the hardest I went against. Um, like physically, <laughs> he was just like, wasn't a big man, but mm. he was hitting a wall. And um, either you're running into him or you're tackling him. You know what I mean? And he just kept coming, just kept coming and coming. Um, you'd be at every rook. Uh, he'd offer himself up a car. He was just relentless. Um, and a very nice fella. Uh, I, I always thought he was just <laughs> and a very nice fella. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Like there's there's a lot uh, of that's good. A lot of lads that are yeah. You wouldn't be having a pint with them like. Um, <laughs> but then um, who else uh, uh, played with? Um, probably Ethan Atewa is probably the best player that I've ever ever been with. Um, played with because he, he his standard was the same no matter if it was Dragons on a on a Friday night or it was you know, Claremont in the semi-final of Heineken Cup. Um, he played to an unbelievable standard um, and was probably one of the most talented individuals, you know, that, that, that I've ever, um, you know, ever played with. He was so talented, you got to put it this way, to put it in context, the All Blacks tried to get the international rules changed to make him an All Black. Um, because he played, he played for Fiji, didn't he? Yeah, for a couple of minutes, you know, when he was young. And um, that's how much the All Blacks wanted him. So we, that just shows the level of talent that he was at. No, absolutely brilliant, Jamie. Um, as Barry said, thank you so much for your time. Uh, absolutely wonderful chat with you. Um, if you are watching this video, guys, at home, make sure to like, share, subscribe. Barry, as always, stay energized.